Thanks, Brandon. I love that song. I love watching baptisms. Congratulations to all who've become Christians this week. Sunday's a very popular day for baptisms worldwide. I suppose that's not very hard to figure out. But just think how many hundreds of new brothers and sisters you have just this week. Always encouraging to hear from El Novio de Lin Betty, the novio, the boyfriend, Mark Ottenweller. I love the pictures from down under on this side and in the Western Hemisphere down under. Thank you. That really helps us to remember what we're part of. We're part of something worldwide. And that's a big deal because at Thanksgiving time, we can easily forget. You know what happens at Thanksgiving? You ingest a lot of turkey. What's in turkey? Tryptophan. What does tryptophan do? Makes you have a sense of well-being, although it's a, it's a legal uh, uh, substance. It gives you a sense of well-being and also makes you a little sleepy. What are we talking about? I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving today. I think you know it's been celebrated for a long time, since the first year after the pilgrims came, 1621. They combined the Native American customs of the Wampanoag, which is why we put marshmallow on pumpkin pie. No, not exactly, but something similar. But they combined that with their sincere gratitude for crossing the ocean and not dying, because crossing the Atlantic in those little boats in 1620 was not easy, and for the first year of harvest. So all over the world, we have Thanksgiving-type celebrations. In, in Korea, in Malaysia, uh, everywhere, really. Thanksgiving is celebrated in Canada on our Columbus Day. They just want to be difficult. And uh, we celebrate on the fourth, uh, Thursday of Thanksgiving. But it's supposed to be a time when we're thankful to God. By the way, a little sidelight there. If you're, if you're an atheist, it makes it a little tricky. I'm not, make, I'm not trying to be negative against atheists. I hope that today you'll find faith and this will encourage you. But who do you thank for, for life and how things are going and your good fortune if there's no God? Just, you kind of did it yourself or you thank your friends, I suppose. But it was very much a God-directed celebration originally. Uh, of course, leave it to the United States to hijack the day uh, with football and massive quantities of food. I think we live in a very self-directed culture, a time it's very easy to have ingratitude. Would you agree with that? I think the response the Lord's looking for every day, not just one day a year, is, is gratitude for what he's done for us. That's why we're here today. That's why we're listening to the word of God right now. Uh, just a few biblical sidelights. Thanksgiving, of course, is a big theme in scripture. I could read you many of uh, the Psalms that talk about Thanksgiving. I will praise the name of the Lord with a song. I will magnify him with Thanksgiving, Psalm 6930. I've got a list of Thanksgiving Psalms. I'm studying the Psalms right now myself every day, morning and evening, really getting a lot out of that. But I'm not going to do Psalms today. Today's Luke. And you may say, oh, is that the North River plan? The last four sermons were all out of Luke 14 and 15. It's actually coincidence. But yes, I am in Luke. I am in Luke 17. And uh, you can turn over there in just a moment. Thanksgiving is actually a big theme in Luke's gospel. Significant theme. And one thing we see throughout the gospel are people's responses to God, some grateful, some not so grateful, some appropriate, some not very appropriate. Well, you can think, for example, of, of Zacchaeus, the short guy who climbed the tall tree to see Jesus, who just overflows with expressiveness and wants to be a blessing to everybody. That's in, that's in Luke 19. What a contrast to the rich man in Luke 18 who could not, he was so stingy, he just couldn't let go of what his heart truly followed, his money. Luke has a lot of passages like that. Or Luke 7. I actually recorded a Thanksgiving podcast 
um, last week, and I did it on Luke 7 and Luke 17. Luke 7 is the woman who's so grateful for forgiveness because she realizes her sinfulness. She comes up behind Jesus, Jesus having dinner. She comes up behind him. She's crying. Her tears are falling on his feet. She bends down. She has hair. She uses her hair to, to clean his feet. You know, we've got the anointing. And she's so effusive. She's so expressive. There's another man, Simon, the Pharisee, who looks at her and says, if Jesus was any kind of decent, you know, prophet or Messiah, he would know she's a filthy, dirty person. How can he let her touch him? She looks down at her for her sinfulness, completely oblivious to his own, which leads Jesus to tell a little parable on him to, to get him. And this is another thing we see in the Bible. Some people seem to ignore social convention. They're just, they just blurt it out and they express their love and their gratitude. And there's always one person standing around disapproving. Like David. David brings the ark in 2 Samuel 6. He brings the ark, which has been out of the country a long time. He brings it back to to the land of the people of Israel. And he's rejoicing, and he, he changes his clothes, and he's dancing, something I can, cannot do myself, but he's dancing and celebrating. And his wife, her name is Michal. Michal is the daughter of Saul. Michal is, I just pronounce it that way because that's correct, and also because she's not very nice. She, Michal is looking at him. She pulls her glasses down. Like she says she's looking at him out the window. So she's literally looking down on him. And when she has a moment... Uh, privately with her husband, she says, my, how the king of Israel has disgraced himself today, you know, acting like any vulgar uh, man in the presence of the slave girls. She is offended because she's embarrassed because he's so expressive, big-hearted, generous. He has so much thanksgiving, it annoys her. And that's very similar to the story in Luke 7, the one which I told you I, we didn't have time to get into today. So what we're going to do is go to Luke 17. And you can be asking yourself, how expressive am I when it comes to expressing thanks? And by magic, there it is, right there. And ESV means the English Standard Version. So I'm going to read that. Let's read it. This is our text today. We'll comment on it, and then we'll make some applications. And this is, let me remind you, Jesus has finished his ministry in the north of Israel, in Galilee. He's headed south to Judea. Between Galilee and Judea is Samaria, and the Samaritans are not very much appreciated by the Jews. Second Kings 17 and other chapters you'll see, but they really didn't like their religion, their looks, their ethnicity, um, their habits. They were the bad guys. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks, to give praise to God except this foreigner? 
And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's the setting. We're in Luke 17. Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus said that he's going to Jerusalem to die. Remember, his, his disciples argue about who's the greatest. They're passing through Samaria. At the end of Luke 9, the Samaritans aren't very friendly towards the Jews. James and John say, should we call down fire from heaven and scorch these guys? Should we nuke them? Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. Not, don't even think of it. And Jesus has a heart of love. And so he enters a village. It's in the border territory, the frontier territory. That's the point. And that explains, to some extent, why it's a mixed group. Ten lepers, but one's a Samaritan. If you read the New Testament, you know, like in passages like John 4, verse 9, Samaritans don't hang out with Jews at all. But when you're suffering from leprosy, you're at rock bottom. You're a social outcast, according to the law. In Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you actually have to live outside the camp. And you have to prevent people from coming too close. You're supposed to cover your face and say, unclean, unclean. These people, who were all at the bottom, they'd hit rock bottom, end up associating together. That's probably true to human experience. When we're really down, it's interesting who we make friends with. Samaritans and Jews, they just had more in common at this point because of the leprosy, I think. And they ask for mercy. Jesus does not heal them immediately. Usually when Jesus does a healing, it is immediate. By the way, he never does any fake healings, bogus healings, gets people fired up and come up on stage and heal them of their knee pain. <laughs> not like the modern healer. No, these are real healings. But, but he wants them to do something. He tells them, go show yourself to the priest. You've read Leviticus. You know that you show yourself to the priest after your leprosy is gone. Now, if the leprosy is advanced, that's a pretty tall order to convince the priest that you're clean when your nose is missing and you're missing your fingers and toes, although technically you might be clean. But he tells them to go to the priest, which itself requires some faith. A, they're not allowed, being so unclean, they're not allowed to go into society, not even allowed to go to the temple. And B, they're not healed yet. A lot of times, God asks us to do things that require faith. You say, Yo, I'll, do, I'll do it when I get faith. Nah, God usually asks us to do things that will kind of create faith as we're moving along. And I think there's something very wise about that. He wants us to learn maturity. He doesn't spoil us. Then, one of them, seeing he's healed, turns back, and how does he praise God? What does it say? What do you think it sounded like? <laughs> Too loud? <laughs> well, it depends if you're like me and Michal, always wanting people to be calmer and more controlled. Or are you someone who would be falling at Jesus' feet yourself and shouting and crying and just pouring out your emotion? But this Samaritan is really expressive. This is also one of Luke's many themes, sub-themes. The Samaritans are actually the good guys. And who are the people who are not coming back to Jesus to express gratitude? Uh, God's people, the Jews. And notice how much in the minority this one man is. Let me give you a little sidelight. If you want to follow up the lesson today with another study, compare this leper to another leper who also was a foreigner. 
in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, which I'm studying right now too. 2 Kings 5, the leper is a foreigner. He's not healed instantaneously, but only in the process of following instructions. Particularly, he was supposed to dip himself seven times in the River Jordan, kind of baptism. He came back to the one who healed him to give thanks. Even though he's already healed, he could have kept going. He came back. He expresses gratitude, and he said in contrast, in the Second Kings story, he said in contrast to Gehazi, the greedy, money-grubbing, two-faced servant of the prophet Elisha. So compare Second Kings 5 to Luke 17. I think you're going to see some parallels. In each case, the one who's the good guy is not of the people of God. It's someone outside the tribe who's actually closer to the kingdom of God. And that, I'll tell you, is a big theme in Genesis, in Exodus, all the way to Revelation. We tend to be so tribal. We think we're the only show in town. We can be a bit arrogant. God is showing us something here. This guy falls on his face and he gives thanks. Jesus says, well, weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? I mean, I cleansed them. Where are they? Were they not thankful? For me, it's kind of hard to think these guys wouldn't be at least feeling pretty positive. I mean, you're not allowed to associate with the rest of the world. You're excluded from the temple. You can't worship God. You're a second. No, you're a fourth-class citizen. And your life has been turned upside down. Now you can have a normal life. But they don't come back to Jesus. I wonder what they were thinking. Uh, we don't actually know his address. Okay, well, I don't think the Samaritan... He didn't really have one. That's why at this point he had no address. Like some of us, maybe. We're kind of floating around a little bit. Maybe because Jesus was out of sight, he was out of mind easy to forget because we get distracted, right? Even in fellowship, I get distracted. I'm talking to one person, another person goes here, another person. I think I'm being giving all the time. I'm giving, yeah, but I'm breaking. I'm, I apologize if I did that to you this morning. I may have. I break off. We get distracted. We're a very, uh, we have an attention deficit, all of us. Maybe they were thinking, well, the other eight aren't returning. The Samaritan's going, but all the us aren't, you know, so he can be our representative. Yeah, that's it. We'll applaud him and he'll represent us. Spectator religion, we'll let him do what we should be doing. Or maybe they were embarrassed now. Before they had less pride, their dignity was pretty much destroyed in the state of leprosy. That's what sin does to us, you know. Maybe they got their pride back and they didn't want to be seen in public with a Samaritan. These are all just speculations. I don't know why they didn't return to Jesus. But I do know that we need to, in a sense, return to Jesus and thank him because he's cleansed us of something far more significant than a skin disease. We are grateful, rightly so, when we receive blessings from God. We have Thanksgiving every year. I think that's a good thing. When you go to a place like Bolivia, and people are living, eating, dying, having children, all on the streets, doing drugs, and their lives are touched or turned around, they tend to be very, very demonstrative. And we say, well, of course they are. I mean, you know, they, they, their life was the pits. I would never trade places with them. But see, we think that we're really different from them spiritually. Physically, yeah. Spiritually, no. In fact, it's another biblical theme that often the people uh, in the New Testament will be the prostitutes and the tax collectors, you know, the pagans. 
often they enter the kingdom of God before God's own people do because they see their need. We are just as diseased, just as much in need of cleansing. You say, I'm a pretty good person. Douglas, you've got the wrong guy here. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty clean. Well, you probably are pretty clean compared to the average person. But why would you want to compare yourself to such a low standard? The standard is God. It's holiness. The standard is 100%, not 2% or 3% holiness or wherever the average decent person is. We don't understand how much we have been forgiven. Returning to show thanks will cost us, firstly, the thought, energy, time, maybe changing plans. It may cost us financially. And you say, yeah, but I wouldn't want to do it unless it was really spontaneous. I don't want to just kind of act my way into a feeling and drool and hyperventilate and say hallelujah. And I don't think God's asking us to do that. But certainly, it's better to return thanks, even if you don't feel it, than not to return thanks. Would you agree? I mean, someone gives you a present for your birthday, which you are kind of medium about, kind of lukewarm about it. Do you just stand there and not thank them? See, there are two separate issues here. Your feelings are one issue. <laughs> and you can talk later to your friend if you need to. Your feelings are one issue, but the other issue is just the right thing. It's just a decent thing to do. So we're, we're, our culture is very big into spontaneous how about let's be big into righteous, <laughs> doing what's right, being holy. And if it comes out wrong, if we're a bit too loud, if we're clapping too loud, or Lord forbid we would dance or even do a gyration in the middle of a song, God will forgive us, and perhaps even many of the good people of North River will forgive us too. And I'm speaking against myself as much as I am against any of you Michal-type people like me. Expressing gratitude, even effusively, is always better than just keeping it in. Well, we need to make some applications here so you know what you've got to do. I've got a series of questions for you and then a confession. Questions. Am I one of those people who looks down on men and women who are more demonstrative than I am? Of course, you could be the opposite. You could be looking down on the people. What? They're all stiff. You know, they're, they're, they don't move that way. They're not really clapping at all or loud enough. Or well, You have a problem, too. You're not supposed to look down on anybody. Do I look down on those more just demonstrative than me and expressing their thanksgiving? Here's another one. If I had been among the ten lepers on that day... I've been among lepers myself a number of times. I've never seen a leper healed miraculously, let alone having been one. What if you, what, what if you were one of those lepers on that day in Luke 17? Okay, what do I think I would have done after realizing I'd been cleansed? And if it's something very energetic and positive, how long would I have kept doing it? You can apply that to the day of your own baptism, by the way. If I'm a parent, are my children grateful? Or do they behave in an entitled way? Not thankful. Just assuming it'll always be good. If our parents are living, and even if they're not still alive, am I showing proper respect and gratitude? Or do I talk about them in a negative way? How much are my personal prayers characterized by requests, as in gimme, 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 
You know, the leech has two daughters in the book of Proverbs. Gimme, gimme is all they ask. Or is it praise and thanks for God, appreciating his holiness? As a citizen, am I grateful for the good things in the nation where I reside? Every nation has problems and corruption. I happen to think we live in one of the less corrupt and more commendable nations. You know me well, you know I'm not that kind of a patriot, but I'm telling you, it's biblical. Not only to pray for those in authority, but to be grateful for everyone. Am I grateful for my health? I was talking four days ago with a sister who's dying. I don't know how many more days she has. Cancer. She's not, not in the church here. She's in the church, in a sister church in Florida. So grateful for the years she's had to know God, to affect people, to help people, to spread the gospel. So grateful. We talked half an hour on the telephone. I knew this would be the last time. Never once was there a complaint. Oh, she, she's in great pain. No complaint. Just grateful. You say, well, normally I would be grateful, but Douglas, I have a splitting headache. That's like the parent who excuses his child. Well, the reason he's being such a brat today is he missed his nap. Okay, so what are we saying? If you feel tired or you have a little back pain, then it's okay to be rude and distant. I don't want my kids thinking that. I don't want to live that way. Deborah in Florida takes away my excuse. Before I was a Christian, I don't think I had the right spirit. I was very young. What I mean is I lived at home still. But I became a Christian in my first year of university. By the way, that's a great time to become a Christian. Some of you high schoolers are saying, yeah, I'll wait until I'm 18. You know, and that's not, that's not my point. <laughs> I wasn't a child. I mean, I was often disrespectful and sarcasm was a tool of choice. But I always did my chores. And I would even ask, is there anything else I could do? But it was, there was always, you know, the martyr complex? Or if you're into literature, the tragedy queen? Woman who's always serving everyone else. No one really wants her to. Because she makes them miserable, but, you know, it's, she's taking this mission on. It wasn't that I was sluggish. I always made my bed every day. I did that when I lived home. I can't say I do it anymore. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Sorry, Lois. I did my chores. When I became a Christian, I asked an older man, a guy in his 40s, I was 18, how can I, what advice do you have? How can I affect my family? I mean, I, I'm hoping some of my family members will become Christians which in fact is exactly what happened later. And he said, don't preach at your parents, serve them. Well, I already make my bed and cut the lawn. He wasn't talking about the mechanics, because that can be kind of manipulative. In fact, you can do it with an attitude. It's like we'd rather pay a yard service rather than have you do it. Um, what he meant was, show them Christ. Show them your respect and your great Gratitude for them in that way. Show them the gospel that way. And I changed. I'll tell you, it made it a lot easier. Now, I never lived at home again more than a few weeks. Since I was 18, I left. But it made a very big difference. And you'd think I learned the lesson beautifully. Fast forward 25 years. The year is 2003. I was in another country staying in a home enjoying the hospitality of a family. I was tired. 
jet lagged. They were very energetic, uh, cooking and serving and cleaning, and I didn't want to be in the way. Plus, they didn't speak English. So I kind of kept to myself. Besides, I needed to pace myself because I had a lot of lessons to do for their church. And it was a very crucial time in their church. I asked a few months later the brother with whom I stayed. I stayed with his family. I said, so tell me, how, how was it, the impact? He said, it was great. It was just what we needed. But can I tell you one thing, Douglas? <laughs> tell me, <laughs> tell me, teacher. You know, I felt like some of the characters in Luke. Um, we were surprised by how little you did when you stayed with us. Because we think of you as a very mature Christian, but you didn't help clean the dishes. You didn't really... We, we were just surprised. Well, these words cut like a knife for about six or seven different reasons. I mean, I was jet-lagged. Come on. There's a language barrier. My father had just died a few weeks ago. I'm sure that was affecting me. I'd lost my job a few months before that. I guess I was technically unemployed. It wasn't easy. I had a lot of responsibility. And when the brother wasn't there, I was in a house with five women. Surely it would be better for me to separate the genders and, and let them do their, their work. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, the feedback was positive except for one thing. We were surprised how little you did to help in the house. Like a knife cutting through butcher, those words right through me. Seven years later, I had a chance to make amends. I happened to be in the same country, staying with the same family, and this time I was different. I didn't even think about tiredness or all the work I had to do preparing. This was time to show my gratitude to them who have been so supportive of me and brought me into their home. And I will say, I think I passed because I asked them after... Was I different? And they said, oh yes, that was just right. No martyr complex, no martyr complex. I wasn't the tragedy queen. These people aren't serving Jesus. They're serving themselves after all. The point being that Thanksgiving is a characteristic of authentic spirituality and it will show in our behavior. For being cleansed by Jesus demands a response of Thanksgiving. And so I invite all of you, don't tumble into a turkey coma between now and and New Year's, let us still serve the Lord. In the words of Revelation 7:12, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's direct our thanksgiving to Him as is appropriate. I think all of you are in pretty much the same position as me. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. But you need this lesson, the lesson of the ten lepers. Let's make sure we're the one, not in the other nine. Thank you, Douglas, for that excellent message. Um, I'm sure all of us have some things to go home and work on when it comes to gratitude. And uh, thank you so much also for all the people who participated in the services today.
and made it such a wonderful time together as a family. You know, as a member of leadership here, um, the elders and evangelists and teachers, they get a lot of encouragement from the members. We've received texts and messages, and we get together in person, and we received a lot of thanksgiving from, from you, our brothers and sisters. I wanted to take an opportunity on behalf of the leadership group to let you know how thankful we are for you guys and how much you mean, how much it means to us to be able to serve you and to see your spirits. And I haven't talked to the other guys about this, but I know that we've talked about it several times, that you definitely as a congregation have very much encouraged us in so many ways. Um, during times of stress and when the leadership isn't as fun as it uh, otherwise would, you're very encouraging and very supportive. I think also you've demonstrated just an incredible amount of spiritual maturity. I think we truly are grateful for the growing spiritual maturity of our membership because the congregation has gone through a lot of change over the, over the years, and change is always difficult. And to see the, see the membership uh, embrace that change and really thrive on growth and to really thrive on uh, that kind of uh, change is very encouraging. I think also we're very, very grateful to our brothers and sisters here at North River for the way they've truly embraced one another religion and the relationships that you have with one another and the way that more and more we're growing and working on those relationships and getting involved in each other's lives and taking on responsibility for each other's burdens. It's uh, always encouraging to me when I talk to somebody in the fellowship and ask them, well, who do you know? Well, I know so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and we're getting with them, and we're talking about this. And, and there's spiritual talks where, uh, as brothers and sisters, we're encouraging, inspired, inspiring, and challenging one another. That gives us great joy, because that's the way the church is supposed to work. So we're very, very thankful for you in that. And now you actually get an opportunity to practice that once again because we're going to have a period of fellowship as we close our service in song. Thank you. I think we're closing with song. Okay. Let's st stand and sing number 213 together. Stand in awe, number 213. <clears throat> Stand in all your power and your glory. Stand in all with trembling and fear. Stand in all your sovereign and your holy. Lord, oh God, we stand in all your deeds, your name, your works of creation, your love, your your plan of salvation, the stars seen unnumbered, the lightning, the thunder, the universe under your reign. Stand in all your power and your glory, stand in all with trembling and fear, stand in all. Your sovereign and your holy Lord, oh God, who we stand in awe. We stand with Christ as your holy nation. We take your word 
to our generation. Your hand is upon us, your spirit within us, and hell can't prevent us. We've won, we've won, we stand in all your power and your glory. Stand in all with trembling and fear. Stand in all your sovereign and your holy.